Man, it's really good to see you this morning. Thank you for choosing to be here today. It's a great day together, isn't it? Already amazing. We have been in this series, The Story of Reality, for a lengthy time with different segments. And in this last segment, we only have two left, today and next week. And in this last segment, we've been focusing on the finale. When you've got three topics to choose from, to just zero in on from the life of Jesus to the end, we chose three. The Holy Spirit, the church, and the second coming. So at the end of the service today, I'm going to announce it. Next week is the second coming. Okay, so it's a message about the second coming. It might be next week, uh, but we're going to be looking at all of that together and enjoying that event together afterwards. I want to begin today as we focus on the church uh, with this question. Does it surprise you that there is a growing number of people in America today who believe in Jesus but do not believe in his church? It's true. A growing number of people today who believe in Jesus who do not believe in his church. Now, it surprises me a little bit, but I get it. I get it because it's really, really easy to find fault with the church. I mean, everybody can find fault with the church. It's easy for me to find fault with our church. And I do that as a joke because what I'm saying is it's, How easy? All I got to do is look in the mirror, right? And when I looked in the mirror just two days ago, I looked in the mirror and I just had a a, a toast, uh, Dave's bread, oh, seeds and nuts and, you know, it's like the best bread. And I had this big dark seed lodged between my teeth and it's like, Whoa! And I, you know, with those kinds of things that you discover, you hope nobody else saw it. I mean, it's like, whoa! It's easy to find fault. And really, when I say with me in a mirror, I'm not talking about that dark seed between my teeth. I'm talking about before the mirror of God's word when I'm reading. When just about the same time I discovered that seed a couple of days ago in God's Word in Proverbs, boom, a verse jumps up and there's this seed, but it's not a seed, it's a dark sin lodged between my soul and my body. And I was not even aware that that's there until I read again, and it just so happened that the events of my life uh, just verified, yep, that's, that's you I'm talking to right there. And it's like, okay, so I I need to confess that, and I need to do something about that, and I immediately put that particular proverb in my memorization routine. I use a Bible app, and that way it just keeps me going to remind myself, my memorization routine looks like this. I get it word perfect, yay, and I go on, and then it comes up again later, and I have to work on it all over again. And I get it word perfect, and go on. But you know what? It's a reminder, and it keeps going and going. It's a helpful tool to dislodge that dark Sin lodged between my soul and body. So we're talking about how easy it is to find fault with the church. And as we talk about that, um, sometimes I think we have the wrong idea about who, who is church. <laughs> and, and certainly some people have a wrong idea about church altogether. They think in terms of this particular hour of meeting. They think in terms of this building or they think of places, 
uh, we need to talk about what that is. But before we talk about what that is, I just want to say that the wrong idea about who is church has been around since Jesus' day. When the Pharisees were asking Jesus, how is it that you hang out with people like them? And I think that if they were to be in our midst, they'd say, how is it, Jesus, that you're hanging out with the likes of them? That's us. It's the same question. And here's how Jesus answered it in Mark 2.17. We read this. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We are here today because... We have heeded the call, and we agree with that call, and the call is this, I need a Savior. And if you think you don't need a Savior, that's the person that he says he hasn't called. It's obvious. You haven't responded. He can't save you as long as you think you don't need saving. You cannot achieve what you need spiritually. You can only receive it. I love when the Holy Spirit puts together things the way he does. We did not plan that communion thought just before this message. That communion thought was perfect. We just participated in communion together. And in communion together, here's what we're saying. Prerequisite required. I still need a savior. I still need a Savior, and I totally believe, Lord Jesus, that you love me, and I am broken. And just as I was broken and beloved when you died on the cross, and that I received that first time for me, I'm still broken and beloved. And we come to that recognition every time we participate in communion and receive it. I'm broken and beloved. Every time we participate, it's like flattens the field. We're all broken and beloved. Now, if you disagree with that, you're going to ask questions like the Pharisee and start pointing out people that shouldn't, don't belong here. It's like, wait, 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 wait. They don't belong here. Well, if they don't belong here, who does? Do you belong here? Yeah. That's why I'm pointing and there's a problem there that Jesus is addressing right here. So when we look around at the church and we're tempted when we're hurt by the church, which, by the way, Jesus was and is, and every servant of Christ was and is. And Paul even celebrates that he rejoices that he's able to suffer on behalf of the body of Christ, the church. That's just part and parcel with what it means to be a part of the church. It's like recognizing that we're all broken and beloved and growing because we're all looking not at each other's faults, but at the Savior who we need right now, what we need. And we celebrate as he is working in our midst. So when we see faults in the church, how many of you have seen faults in the church? Okay, I need to ask that again because you're not listening. <laughs> How many of you have seen faults in the church? We all have seen faults in the church. Does that mean it's a failure? No. And so the main point today on the screen is this. I believe the church is God's finale, not his fizzled failure. And we need to see that it's his finale. It's not a fizzled failure, even with the faults. 
and we need to get a hold of that and understand what that looks like. So to begin this morning, we're going to have a quote from N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Christian. He writes, it is as impossible, unnecessary, and undesirable to be a Christian all by yourself as it is to be a newborn baby all by yourself. That quote is not just written for newborn Christians. It's true for all of us, no matter how long we've been in the church and how long we've been growing. I'll say it again. It is as impossible, unnecessary, and undesirable, even for those of us who've grown up in the church from the beginning, to be a Christian all by ourselves. It's as impossible as being a newborn baby all by yourself. So I ask you the simple question. Look at the quote. Do you believe it? Yeah. Okay, so that's our starting point. Point number one. How we became members of God's household. Ephesians 2, 18 through 19. For through him, through who? Jesus is the context here. Through him, Jesus, we both, both who? The context here is about Gentiles and Jews, those who were farthest from God and those who were most familiar with God at that point in time. That's what he's talking about. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Ephesians is a letter written primarily to Gentile Christians. You are no longer foreigners and strangers. You've become part of the household is what he's saying, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. God's household is another way of saying God's family. The New Testament follows suit with Jesus' terminology consistently in this. Jesus always referred to God as his father. He invited his disciples to be brothers and sisters with him. It's family terminology that once you have allowed Jesus to cleanse you and place his spirit in you, your family. Now, I don't know about your biological family, but my biological family, they're not perfect, but we're still family, okay? You don't get to choose. In fact, we don't get to choose who's in or who's out of church. We're family, and we're family who've been brought in by Jesus Victory on the cross. God is our Father. Now, if you don't have a church and you claim to be a Christian, you are a spiritual orphan. Spiritual orphans don't do well. And that's the point of N.T. Wright's quote. So deep and lasting relationships are formed here. That's why we say around here, don't do life alone and it's not too late to sign up for a group, and that will sound like a broken record, (laughs) okay? Point number two, Jesus called us my church. Jesus called us my church. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, okay? We're not a fizzle failure. There's not going to be a destruction of the church, You are my church, he says. We belong to Jesus. Why do we belong to Jesus? Because he paid a purchase price by his own blood, and we became his. We belong to him. 
Now, let's talk about the small of it and the large of it, and I'm going to get technical with you, but I think if I don't get technical, you're going to just keep believing what you believe in, okay? So the small of it and the large of it. The church as a family is experiencing the small of it, okay? That's how you experience the reality of church as a family, in smaller get-togethers. And it's very clearly taught by Jesus, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst, whether it's two or three or ten. But in those smaller settings, it is an experience that develops through relational connectivity and all kinds of the rest of the things that New Testament talks about, how we learn how to love one another and forgive each other and all those one another things are practiced within those smaller settings. It's really hard for these rows and all of us in this larger setting to practice those things if this is the only sense or experience you have that you call church. I'm going to get technical as we talk about the small of it and the large of it. So let's talk about the large of it. The word here, church, is, of course, a translation, and it was the label that was being applied when... English is being translated from the Greek. The word that Jesus used, now it's a question whether he used the Aramaic or whether he used the common Greek. We have only the Greek in the manuscripts. The Greek in the manuscript, the word is ekklesia. Ekklesia is not a word that is made up by Jesus or made up in the New Testament. It was the translated word for the assembly or congregation, the called out ones that would gather in the large of it, okay? And Jesus is building his large of it, his ecclesia. Ecclesia comes from the root word kaleo, which means to be summoned or to be called. And Jesus has summoned his church, excuse me, to come together and remember him with regularity. And there's been a pattern to celebrate the first day of the week, every week, remembering his victory in the resurrection. A shift, a cataclysmic shift from celebrating the creator to celebrating the redeemer took place globally. We're now celebrants of Jesus who not only is the creator with the Father, he is the one who made recreating possible and renewing us in this new creation and we are summoned to meet together in the large of it, okay? So ecclesia brings the large of it and Jesus speaks to the small of it. It's family and it's ecclesia, assembly. Now, you need to think in terms of Old Testament assembly. This word is used in the Old Testament frequently and the nation used to gather as a nation. We're talking assembly, okay? And now Jesus is saying, we're going beyond that. This finale is global, okay? So we need to talk about the large of it as well as the small of it. So here's another quote. Jesus transforms us through this spirit-filled grace-filled, supernaturally empowered community that he is building. I hope that sounds important. Does it sound important? A lot of people act like church is not important. We are such John Wayne Christians. Just me and God. You know, America is so independent sometimes 
We don't think like the New Testament. We don't think like Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, we, we, we are together, and he uses this church together to help us in so many different ways. Now, if you think that's important, oh, check this out. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold witness, uh, sorry, manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I know what that's saying, so I just go, Wow, he's talking about there's something that he's doing that we can't even see. His manifold witness is being displayed in all its multi-splendored glory through his church, through the likes of you and me. Now, I need to tell you that later in chapter 6 of Ephesians, some of these same phrases are being applied to the authorities and the rulers of darkness and uh, evil in the heavenly realms, in the realms we cannot see. That we are proving God has won and he's going to win and your time is over. Your bet in heaven that you could be reigning this world has lost, and we are Jesus's exhibit A when this confrontation between evil and light reaches judgment. I say that's important. (laughs) It's not about us even when you start thinking in those grand, huge terms. God is saying, this grace, this unseen invitation to receive grace and mercy and love is far more powerful than the power you're using and the seduction you're using, you evil forces. He gives us choices and woos our hearts. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So, what do you see in church? You tend to see what you're looking for. Looking for flaws, you will find them. Looking for changed lives, you will find them. Looking to change your life, you need look no further. God is at work here. And I'm so excited about what God is doing. Plunge in. If you haven't plunged in yet, go to... The next start here. If you don't have a group yet, broken record, it's not too late. (laughs) Sign up for a group. Point number three. We are members of his body. Members of his body. Romans 12.5 and many, many other passages speak about this. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Now, this is more than a comparison of the body to the church. It is that, but it's more than that. Paul compared the body of Christ to the church in lots of places. Some of you are like mouths, some of you more like hands, some of you have this gift, some of you have that gift, and yet we all form one body, and Christ now is the head who's directing this whole thing, okay? Okay? 
And that is a strong teaching in many places. I want to just um, bring it to light today on Super Bowl Sunday. The finale of 32 teams with 53 active players on each team roster, that's 1,696 players, the NFL Super Bowl is today. I keep running into Christians who think they're playing NFL, they think they're Christians, and they have no team. Doesn't work like that. If there was an NFL player out there who says, I'm, I'm playing in a game today. Oh, yeah, which team do you belong to? Uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I, uh. You're not a player. You're a fan. We got lots of fans of Jesus who are not followers of Jesus. Pick and choose what they're going to believe about Jesus. They're not picking and choosing to follow as Jesus has summoned them to come and be a part of the church. What's the deal with that? What is a coach to do with a player who doesn't show up for practice? What is a coach to do with a player who doesn't join the huddle during a game? The huddle is our gathering point where we receive our plays. And then we're spread from here to run specific plays according to the strengths that we have been given by the Spirit of God. In the places and positions he has placed us. It's like, come on, team. Let's play football. Let's play the game that is bigger than the Super Bowl. We're heading towards a finale, and all sides are chosen, and only those who are called and part of the ecclesia, the summoned and called ones, who know they are broken and beloved and are looking to Jesus to deal with every break and every issue, and yet so glad for the grace and for the mercy as we look to him for more grace and more mercy, because someday, <laughs> someday we will no longer be broken, and we will be with him in glory after the finale. Can't wait. Jesus is the one who called the church, and Jesus is the one who empowered the church. Here's a play call and a description, John 20, 21 through 22. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Go out long. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You feel inadequate to run your play in the place he's positioned you, don't feel inadequate. Just keep coming. Be equipped. Be a part of a group. Practice. Run your plays. Run the plays that are according to your strength. Just love Jesus and love your neighbor. And as you love Jesus and love the neighbor the way you have designed to do it, you're going to be running the long pass. And you're going to have a reception. And it's going to be not just, hey, you, you did it. Somebody else receives life. And that's what it's all about. Who are we and what are we here for? As This is a quote on the screen. As God sent Jesus in a body to seek and save the lost, Jesus sends us, his body, filled with his spirit, 
a chosen people, a royal priesthood, to seek and save the lost. Next quote builds on that. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church. And we exist to help others also take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. Point number four. We are deeply and devotedly loved. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now here we have the comparison of a husband-wife relationship with Christ and his church. And we have all through the New Testament this imagery, in particular in Revelation, about the banquet feast and the wedding and the bride of Christ and on and on. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So we have a lot to kind of sort through there. And I just want to sort it through this way. And before I do, let me just say, uh, time-sensitive um, announcement, two days till Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right? All right, here we go. The church is his bride. Jesus invited us into covenant with him, saying, in effect, will you be mine? And when we say yes to Jesus' proposal, we become his covenant people, his bride, the church, okay? If you believe in Jesus and you've never made it official, what's holding you back? It's, he's saying, I want you to be my bride, the church. I want you to be mine. Enter into covenant with me. And that demands a response and a response where you enter in voluntarily and willingly. From a Jewish perspective, we've got to see these images, okay, because it, it comes alive when you do. As the bride, we are currently in the betrothal period, okay? It's official already, but not yet fully consummated. That's the position we're in right now in this finale. Jesus said he was going away to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back for us. This is also Jewish betrothal practice. Now, in betrothals, there were lengthy periods of time, a year that kind of thing, and then the, it's official but not consummated. They're not living together. They haven't consummated their relationship, but it's an official commitment. We're in that period, okay? We keep reading. Meanwhile, Jesus is devotedly washing us with his love and his word to present us to himself as a radiant bride, a radiant church, a radiant people, the bride of Christ. Radiance looks like faithfulness. It doesn't start with us, it starts with him. He is perfectly faithful. And so radiance for us looks like looking to him and then his radiating glory gets all over us and we reflect it. And it's, so it's not just about I accepted Jesus long ago, it's continuing to look to him, continuing to look to him, and his radiating glory just makes us look more and more like him because his faithfulness draws our eye to him in love and devotion. He, in his character, starts to become us in our character. 
So there is a far away from God and a much more familiar with God and a radiance that's changing over time. And that's why we are all about helping people take steps from wherever they are to where God wants each of us to be. Radiance looks like faithfulness. It also looks like reconciliation. Just like in any marriage, you want this thing to go well, you've got to learn to reconcile with one another. In pre-marriage counseling, I used to talk about the 12 magic words. Here's what you need to learn. And they come in four triads, so it's four sets of three words. Just learn them. Learn them. Use them. It doesn't matter which order you use them. Use them. Here's the four sets of three words. I was wrong. I am sorry. I love you. Please forgive me. It can go in any order. I love you. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Any order, okay? Learn the 12 magic words. By the way, those are good prompts for us to learn, even with our relationship with our covenant partner, Jesus. Just let that prompt start you. But then it's very helpful to be more specific with regard to your words. So I'd like to finish today with a little bit more specific prayer. I found a prayer that was really reflecting my heart. I thought about just praying it, I, 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 but I happen to know it's a we prayer, and it comes from the Book of Common Prayer, a very ancient uh, book that people prayed together in common. That's why it's called that, and here it is on the screen. If you'd like it, it's in the outline of the um, digital outline in the Version events today. If um, you want it and you don't have that, take a couple of shots of the screen. It's two screenshots, okay? Would you, bow, oh, would you open your eyes as I pray? <laughs> My eyes will be open because I will be praying off of the script. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. I'm so glad you came today. You're beautiful. You're broken. You're beloved. Go and be blessed. If you need prayer, we have a prayer team to the left of the stage. Come back for the second coming.